This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to the Highway Hi-Fi Podcast, where we go track by track through the underbelly of music history using research and trivia to locate the roots of our obsession with vinyl records. I'm Joe. And I'm Ryan. And congratulations, you have found the internet's finest podcast about records that are meant to be played for birds. We're going to start this episode off with a little bit of trivia. You know more than I know. Okay, I'm going to go first with today's trivia, and mine is sort of a game of high-low. What I would like you to do, I've got two challenges with this one. Okay. I have six albums. I want you to put them in order of release, and I also want you to tell me if they were released before or after an album that we're going to talk about a little bit later on in the show by Muhammad Ali called The Adventures of Ali and His Gang versus Mr. Tooth Decay. <laughs> So, two things. I'm going to name an album. You tell oh. me if it's high or low, so newer or older than that release, before or after. Okay. And then I want you to put the six in order. So, you may want to write write them down. I'm not going to write You're them You're not going to, yeah. Yeah, you don't even know how to what write What is this? Quiz bowl? Just give them to me. Okay. All right. Here we go. Number one. David Bowie's Aladdin Sane. Okay. Is it before or after? I'm going to say that was before. Okay, you are correct. All right. The next one is Roxy Music. Viva Roxy Music. That was after. Okay. You are correct. Same year, but after. So that helped oh, with your clue at home. That <laughs> Wait, was Aladdin yeah. Sane and Viva Roxy Music came out the same year? Nope. Same year as the Muhammad Ali. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But after that. I was thinking, I'm way off in my years then. Okay. Yep, that's the idea. Blood on the Tracks. Before. Correct. My Aim is True. After. Correct. Clear Spot. That's Captain Beefheart. Oh. 
There's three above and three below, right? Maybe. <laughs> I will say after. Incorrect. Ah, okay, okay. The New York Dolls, too much, too soon. After? Incorrect, before. Ooh. So now we have six albums, and you have an idea of at least which ones are coming near the end of your list, but in what order did these albums come out? And I'll go through them again if you want. Yeah, please. All right, the first one I mentioned was Aladdin Sane. Okay. Viva Roxy Music. Okay. Blood on the Tracks. Okay. My Aim is True. Okay. Clear Spot. Okay. Too Much, Too Soon. Okay. Which one was released first? Blood on the Tracks? No. Okay. That one's wrong. Um, Aladdin Sane? No. Hmm. Okay. I thought Clear Spot was later, but I'll go, go ahead and guess Clear Spot. Clear Spot was number one, 1972. Oh, see, I was thinking it was 74, 75. Okay, so I'll go clear spot. Mm -hmm. Then Aladdin Sane, then Blood on the Tracks. Aladdin Sane is number two at 1973. Blood on the Tracks is after Aladdin Sane. It is not the third one in this list, though. Okay, so I would guess it would have to be New York Dolls then. New York Dolls was number three in 1974. Gosh, it was that early? Yeah, right? Oh, my gosh. And that's gosh. their second album. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I was thinking 76. Okay. Yep. That's why I threw that one in there. All right. Then then I'll go Blood on the Tracks after that. Correct. Okay. Then Muhammad Ali versus uh, Tooth Decay. Very good. All right. My aim was true, I think, was 79. Or 77, maybe. It was whatever year Elvis died. I'll say Aim is True, then Viva Roxy Music. Other way around. Roxy okay. Music came out in 76, immediately following the 76 release of The Adventures of Ali and His Gang versus Mr. Tooth Decay. And Elvis Costello was 77, so they went one year at a time, 72 through 77. That's kind of like a BCAD type situation with that album. Before Ali, yes, after exactly, after after tooth decay, after flossing, <laughs> <laughs> AF. <laughs> oh man, I'd, I'm not good when you ask me specific facts like names or dates or yeah. I should start sticking anything. to that then. Yes, yeah, do something. All right, <laughs> you ready for mine? Yes, of course. All right, and mine. I I thought I would make it real nice. We were having a fun, light episode. It's the holidays. I figured I'll, I'd give you give you a nice, easy quiz, and you're going to hit me with that. But All right. Mine's a simple SAT quiz, song, artist, theme. I've got six tracks. Uh, tell me the song, tell me the artist, and then they're all held together by a single theme. Are you ready? Of course. All right. Here we go. Track one. Mother tells the ladies at the bridge club every day of the She wonders why the children never seem to stay at Track two. Six crooked highways, stepped in the middle of a 
I feel pretty good about the artists and the songs. Not sure about one of the artists, um, definitely, but I feel pretty good about those, especially when one of the songs, I think, had the title in what you played. I think I did that with two songs. And I have no idea what the theme is yet. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and give you a hint on the theme because it's kind of tough. Focus on the singers. And it loosely has to do with our theme of the show today, our turntable talk. So marinate on that little uh, tip, and we okay. will uh, go ahead and let's hit up the uh, the turntable talk. Sounds good. Everybody is talking at me. I don't hear a word they're saying. Only the echoes of my mind. Uh, Danny. Yes, Nelson. It seems to me that if I could teach you how to be a ventriloquist, yeah, I could teach just about anybody. That's a heck of a way to start this record, Nelson. Hear that? Sounds pretty exciting and wild, doesn't it? Well, it's really not as complex as it sounds. An introduction to hand analysis. When you were born, if you have two normal hands, they were almost mirrors of each other. Hello, this is Gwendolyn Bai. Let's neutricize together and get in shape. Please make yourself comfortable taking any position you'd like. It doesn't matter if you're lying down or sitting up as long as you are perfectly comfortable. Be sure your clothing is not too tight, for that would not be comfortable. I know, Roger can tell us. Anyone who can play music on the piano like he does must know vast amounts of interesting things. Like even where a baby comes from. This is the sound of adventure, and I am Alex Dreyer, your man on the go, here to escort you on a most unusual trip around the fabulous, fantastic world of shortwave radio. Those were the sounds of how-to records, or educational records, which were designed to help people learn how to become better. Better ventriloquists, better dancers, better pickup artists, better mathematicians and duck callers. Decades ago, I would rummage around in the cheap bins in record stores, looking for these types of records to use for samples and mixtapes. It was one of the things that I felt set me aside from run-of-the-mill mixtape-ologists, or whatever they want to call themselves, 
These tapes, as many of you might know, were a way for me to passively announce who I wanted the recipient to think I was mixed with who I thought they were. If I gave too much away, I'd often lighten the mood with snippets from spoken word and educational albums. Just a 3-10 to 10 second clip would easily bring things back up after a set of gloom, which was and is my specialty, that may have lasted a song or four too long. The Art of the Mixtape is something we'll be saving for a different show, and it always went hand-in-hand with vinyl for me because I started before CDs and even after I preferred the more difficult mixtape from Vinyl Mix. It made me feel better to get each side exactly right in length and theme. I had notebooks where I collected mixtape information. What song, in what order, the name of the mix. Did I add cover art? Did I include artists and song names, which I usually didn't. Over the past 10 to 15 years, as my mix making mostly dried up, I hardly ever do it now, I lost track of these notebooks, assuming they'd been tossed in one of my many moves. Last week, however, as I was going through boxes I'd had stored at my parents' basement, I found them. Maybe 15 to 20 notebooks, maybe even a few more, crammed full of mixtape data. I was, It was thrilling to see them again, but I haven't actually looked at a single one yet. Sort of might be embarrassing. For 40% of them, I guess, I used something from a weird self-help or how-to album, which is sort of one of my things I did. These albums slowly morphed into most of what YouTube is today. Now I can steal clips from there if needed. I can also learn how to train a dingo not to eat my baby, which is something I never found on vinyl. <laughs> you have to check Australian record stores. <laughs> it was bound to happen that some intrepid person would see the potential in recorded sound beyond home entertainment, oratorical histories, and dramatic storytelling. In 1905, that visionary was a Polish-born English-language teacher named Jacques Rostin, who decided that he could indoctrinate foreign tongues better through pre-recorded instruments and, of course, many zany examples. He called his courses Languaphone and marketed them to tourists and hobbies. A craze was born, and the recordings progressed from wax cylinder to 78 to eventually LPs, adding more and more languages along the way. These language discs proved to be extremely popular and lucrative. Languaphone would start producing language discs in a variety of languages like Persian, Esperanto, and even in different dialects and styles of English. The most famous of these English conversation series was called At the Tobacconist and featured the head hobbit himself and English professor J.R.R. Tolkien procuring some good snuff. Slightly less nauseating than the spoken word of the Silmarillion. Here, have a listen. You recommend me some pipe tobacco? Certainly, sir. Mild, medium, or full strength? Oh, uh, medium, please. I have a very good mixture of my own. Would you care to try it? How much is it? It's a shilling an ounce, sir. Around 1914, when these language records were really getting some mass exposure, only f- about 40% of households had gramophones and records. That number climbed to almost 70% by 1930. Gramophones were really the first mass media that most people could easily access and enjoy in their homes. This was a key factor in a boom that would soon take place with instructional discs in the 1950s and 60s. People wanted to be able to listen to these how-to records in the privacy of their own homes, and they wanted to be able to have repeated listens as many times as their hearts desired. This way they could go home after a rough day at the office, head into their den, take off those starchy pants, pour a tall Harvey Wallbanger and light a pipe, 
and commence with several hours of yodeling practice. Let me tell you a secret right at the beginning of this yodel lesson. Yodeling has a vocabulary all of its own. There are only five basic sounds in the yodeling language, namely A as in star, E as in hay, E as in T, O as in low, and U as in two. You know, that's how I unwind. In addition to language learning, dance instruction and fitness records were huge in the early educational record world. Practice albums included a calm, soothing dance master leading you through timed step patterns, complete with accompanying step charts featuring numbered black and white shoe prints, helping you through ballroom standards like the quick step, the slow foxtrot, the mashed potato, the meat stick, or the funky chicken. Open the instruction booklet to the first chapter entitled Basic Movement and locate the paragraph entitled Stance. Find it? Good. Now those of you who have partners, stand face to face with enough space between you so you can swing your arms without bruising each other. If you don't have a partner, don't let that stop you. The wonderful thing about the twist is that you can practice it all by yourself. Fitness records also became a fad, led by English fitness guru Eileen Fowler who dapperly prompts you to shimmy yourself fit with all the gusto of Suzanne Summers doing hip-thrusting calisthenics through the halls of Downton Abbey. Feeling fine. The enclosed leaflet will help you to follow the movements for rise and shine. Stand with chair or partner on your left at arm's length. Feet together, ready to step left as you cross your arms in front and stretch up. Are you ready? Stretch up with bent elbows, arms wide, let them fall. To right, up with elbows, stretch, drop and feel. Numerous fitness gurus and superstars would follow suit, releasing workout discs, including Jack LaLanne, Jane Fonda, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Richard Simmons, and Miss Piggy. In the pre-VHS days, couch potatoes would have had endless choices on how to get their reps in with Get Fit Vinyl, including sitter size, how to keep your husband happy, how the waist was won, it's full of country and western workouts, and the ever-popular erotic aerobics. NSFW, am I right? <laughs> Do you think there's ever some really, really health-conscious person who kind of did the flaming lips thing with Zarika and, and put on all four of those discs at once and just kind of did all the workouts as quick as they could? <laughs> They should have done one of the aerobics and one of the dance ones and one of the bird calling ones. <laughs> I know, I know uh, my erotic aerobics is often also sitter size. <laughs> <laughs> it really just depends on where and how you're sitting. <laughs> Both the trend of how to dance records and exercise discs would remain hugely important in the educational record scene, ultimately and dangerously peaking with blinding amounts of neon and excesses of circulation-restricting spandex in the 80s with the jazzercise stranglehold on American consumers. In the post-war world, self-improvement and social status became a more real aspect of how success was measured. You didn't just need to keep up with the Joneses. You needed to be able to identify more backyard bird calls than them, out-watusi them, and most importantly, crush them with your ventriloquist skills. 
Look, isn't this supposed to be simplified ventriloquism for the beginner? Right. Well, I'm way past that stage. I haven't been a beginner for years. I know that, Danny, but you've been a dummy all your life, and I... Gee! Watch your language, Nelson. Sorry. Look, if I teach ventriloquism to you, and if you ask questions as we go along, I think it would make a more interesting record for the beginner, and he'll be able to learn ventriloquism in a surprisingly short time. Now, what do you think of that? That makes sense, Nelson, but I warn you, I'm full of questions. It was a time of atomic age suburbia do-it-yourself actualization, and instructional records were getting spit out in mass. In a pre-YouTube world, records could guide you through a problem or build new skills with a fraction of the effort and time that it, reading a book would take. It gave people a sense of control and purpose in a world where so much was changing over which they had no influence, no power, and often no understanding. This combined with a wave of mass capitalist consumption made for the fertile conditions for the explosion of how-to records. Companies would start putting out audio discs containing facts, figures, and regulations for their employees and salesmen. Government agencies would issue important trainings via records. Small presses would put out advertisements for mail-order records in highly specialized magazines. Self-help gurus, religious figureheads, social scientists, quack doctors, they all had a new avenue to put out products, often selling them via subscriptions or in multiple volume sets. Relax more, feel younger, look prettier, be smarter, command an audience, make the sale, get the girl, win the day. Beyond training and self-help, records were handy for recruitment and sometimes light propaganda, or even trying to scare teens away from funny cigarettes and heavy petting. The records ranged from being released on major labels to the tiniest private press releases. A handful of labels, most notably Belmar Records and Kimbo Records, specialized in educational and instructional records, though they were primarily aimed at kids. And I think Kimbo Records is actually still in business, and they make mostly or release mostly electronic albums, I think. It's really hard to do research on them because so many of their records are now and have been for a long time electronic records, and they obviously did a lot of kids' records too. Well, it's funny how it seems like a lot of those record labels, like Peter Pan kind of did the same thing. They kind of veered away from kids' records after the, what, 70s and 80s and started getting real specialized into strange stuff. It's like they kept their label but totally changed their mission. I don't know why they don't make electronica records for kids. They probably do. Is that what, like, Fat Boy Slim is? I don't know who those are for. (laughs) It's for children or adults who have tastes like children. (laughs) What's the opposite of precocious? (laughs) (laughs) It was in this onslaught of discs that some true weirdo gems exist. Most of the records are boring, stuffy, pretty typical of what you imagined for the times. However, much like private press records, there was no real gatekeeper to stop small-time bizarre folks from churning out audio representations of their oddball products, ideas, and scams. The majority of the rest of this show will be highlighting some of our favorites that we have found mostly through scouring the internet and occasionally in dollar bins ourselves. For some reason, some people purposely keep birds in their home. It's disgusting. And as insane as this may sound to people who appreciate homes that aren't constantly bombarded with screeches and the smell of bird shit, 
What is even more bonkers is that one of the most popular subgenres of instructional records was aimed squarely at our winged, quote, friends, unquote. The records were meant to be played over and over at the cages of parakeets, parrots, and budgies, indoctrinating them with human language, similar to that scene in Clockwork Orange when Malcolm McDowell's eyelids are forced open at the movie theater. For the next few seconds, this record will be silent. It then begins your parakeet's talking lesson. In the future, start at this next groove following the short pause, and always place your parakeet near enough so that he can plainly hear the inflection and sound of every word. Hello. Hello, baby. Hello. Hello, baby. Hello. Hello, baby. These records are everywhere, and they're strangely alluring to listen to. But it's only a matter of time until our feathered friends turn feathered foes and we all end up with beaks in our eyes, a la Tippy Hedron. Hey, I got a story about this. I was like pet sitting, or my wife was for some one of her friends. And so we go into the house. I didn't know it at the time, but she had a, a bird. I, I don't know what type of bird, a big, big bird. And so I was like walking. The through. big bird? No, <laughs> did not have big the big bird. It was just a big bird. I I go in first and, you know, start calling out for, for the for the cats or whatever. And so I hear in the other room this just this terrifying high whistly voice that just Good night, Kathy. Good night, Kathy. It just kept saying, Good night, Kathy. And so I turn on the light and there's this bird and it looks me dead in the eye and it just goes, Good night, Kathy. It's the most <laughs> terrifying thing. <laughs> and so I go to to give it a little bird treat or they had some something. And so I kind of stick it through the, the cage and it charges me and takes a snip at my fingers. It's like the most terrifying thing I've ever had happen to me from a parrot. Wow. Those things have sharp beaks. Oh, it was, yeah. It shook me to my soul. I had a roommate that had one. They're disgusting. They shouldn't even be outside. They're so gross. <laughs> I still hear it sometimes in the middle of the night. Good night, Kathy. Yeah, that's haunting. Oh. It's like that Edgar Allan Poe story. It is. Good night, yes. Kathy. <laughs> the scariest part was the rest of the story is there was nobody named Kathy in that house. A myriad of bizarre hobbyist records satiated a nation eager for some leisure. You name it, there is a record about it. Duck calls, bagpipe appreciation, Rubik's Cube solutions, skeet shooting, drawing funny faces, or deciphering the CB codes and lingos so you can tend for your good buddies rolling down the highway. First you'll hear selected key words or phrases used often in CB transmissions. Then... A definition. And to give you an idea of how each is used in a sentence, an example will follow. Take mental notes. These key words will be used again later in the recording. Advertising. Police car using lights and siren. There's a smoky coming up fast in that $50 lane guy, and he's advertising for sure. 
Back door. Last vehicle with CB in a group traveling in the same direction. Get out the back door now, guy. We'd be beating the bushes for you. Come on. Brown bottle. A bottle of beer. Hey, good buddy. Got time for a brown bottle at the next short short? Or maybe you really want to master the different calls of your local cicadas. Richard D. Alexander and Donald J. Borough have got you covered on their sensual The Song of Insects. A jerky trill is produced by the spotted ground cricket, Namobius maculatus, which also sings in leaf litter in dry woods. Or how about the self-defense gem by the most dangerous, silk-talking, long-haired sensei this side of Mr. Miyagi, Adam 8, with his crane-kicking classic, Dynamic Karate. You must remember at first, it is not how high you kick, but rather to watch your form. In time, the height will come. Now, change your stance and kick with your left leg. Ready? One. Two. Three. However, even weirder are the more industrial-focused records that have precise purposes that when listened to out of context and out of their era is like visiting an alien world. Across the internet, you see these relics that are as tantalizing as they are unknown, an old eBay listing for washing is my dish, which is a soothing narrative journey into the process of priming, loading, and using dry master commercial dishwashers to the tune of soft library music. If that's how you want to use it. (laughs) Or how about a record that we saw in the wild but couldn't justify ponying up $75 for? It was a record used by the U.S. Customs and Treasury Department called Drug Dolls and Delays. The cover, which could easily be used for a gothy new wave synth outfit or an undergrad art project, is a stark black and white photo of a 60s baby doll with its head ripped out of its neck and white powder billowing out. And one can only imagine whatever the hell is on Tupperware's world of fashion. All these are probably much funnier in our imagination than in reality, but we're still glad they exist, and we're also still glad we didn't pay $75 for that record. Got a picture of it, though. It isn't on Discogs, at least that we can find. It doesn't come up in a Google search, but (laughs) searching drug dolls is not a good thing to do. (laughs) I wonder how they came up with that price. Just like, no, that's not anywhere else. Let's just see if somebody buys it at $75. Yeah, maybe just, I mean, he knew exactly what it was. Yeah, he did. You should have used your uh, bargaining powers like you did on William Bendix. And- yeah, it's $75. I'll give you 80 <laughs> <laughs> If you ever want to see me haggle, I do the, re- I do the reverse of haggling. <laughs> Religious folks got in on the action, too. Besides a slew of preaching records, there are a few instructional gems, especially if you've got a nagging demon possession situation on your hands. Reverend Patrick J. Berkery's The Rite of Exorcism is an audio dramatization of an exorcism set to some pretty great funk and some pretty bad acting. You have to provide your own projectile vomiting, though. In the name of God most high May release from Satan be given you And your health restored according to his holy will 
In the name of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Life, may new life surge through your mortal body. In the name of God, the Holy Spirit, may you receive inward health and the peace that passes understanding. And may God, who gives us peace, make you completely His and keep your whole being, spirit and soul and body free from the presence of the devil. Through the power of Jesus Christ, our Lord, may you be loosed from the possession of Satan in body, mind, or spirit. On the other side of the good and evil spectrum, you have the Michigan enchantress Gundella with her 1971 Hour of the Witch, which has handy step-by-step directions for a range of spells and love potions and other sorts of curses. You should perform this ceremony in complete solitude with nothing to disturb your thoughts. It's best to be completely naked when you perform this. But if you prefer, you may wear a loose robe without any belt. It's very important that there be no binding straps, garters, belts, elastics, or anything like that to confine your movements or to cause you discomfort during the procedure because you must be able to get, give every bit of your attention to the spell that you are working. Under no circumstances should you wear any shoes. Now, at precisely 12 o'clock on Sunday night, You will light the candle and burn the first knob. While it's burning, you'll gaze into the flame continuously until the entire knob is burned away. Then you will extinguish the flame, and the next night you will burn the next knob. While you are gazing into this flame, you will chant your wish over and over. Now, you must make certain that it is only one wish. Don't use any ands. Don't try to get a second... Celebrities would often get into the mix, making the instructional records simultaneously more ridiculous and more collectible. Baseball legend Stan Musial had a successful album called Stan the Man's Hit Record, which is apparently about batting technique and not casual bar fights. Go figure. Sports stars from Arthur Ashe to Phil Esposito to Arnold Palmer had their own albums. Media personality David Frost addressed the critical caretaker shortage on his record called On Nursing. We're assuming that's a societal, not personal, nurse shortage. And then there was Lloyd Bridges, who took his role in Sea Hunt to an extreme and took us into the murky depths with his album, Learn How to Skin Dive. If you have any type of heart trouble, lung trouble, sinusitis, bronchial difficulty, or ear trouble, You cannot be a skin diver. The reason is simple. Air is forced into and out of a diver's body cavities, similar to inflating and deflating a balloon. An obstruction which prevents the free flow of air to all parts of your body will cause serious injury if you try to dive. Now, as to your swimming ability. Some people have actually tried to go skin diving before they learned to swim. The results were disastrous. Looks like he picked the wrong week to quit huffing oxygen. (laughs) In a more delectable direction was Vincent Price's series on international cooking. I generally pile the eggplant caviar on a pile of shredded lettuce and surround it with cucumbers and tomato slices. This way, my guests can make a little sandwich if they want to. I always set out a small, shallow dish of oregano and another one of thyme 
so that my guests can add pinches of their own, big pinches or little pinches. Most people can't resist the thought of playing with spices, so let them enjoy it. This is a lovely prelude to any meal, and I think it's especially nice with a dry white wine or a rosé. You haven't tasted paella until you've first had its recipe whispered into your ear by the master of horror. Perhaps the greatest of these albums was brought to us by the legendary recording studio, the St. John's Fruit and Vegetable Company, and it's one that we talked about a little bit earlier. Muhammad Ali, the most recognizable person in the whole world at the time, added his voice to an album about dental hygiene, a topic that's close to all our hearts and tongues and stuff. The job can be won, and everybody else get ready to bout. This won't be easy or fun. Get ready to knock him on his buns. Andy and Kelly get out of the car first and run into the clubhouse. Ali and the rest of the gang followed in the clubhouse. Oh, no! At that moment, Andy is just bitten into a huge piece of sugar cake. <laughs> Kelly is about to do the same. Hold it! This looks like the work of my arch enemy, his trademark, sugar cake. Oh, oh, looks like we've got trouble. Record had some pretty incredible guests, too. Frank Sinatra, I think, was on that old Bluetooth. <laughs> uh, who who else was on that? Ozzy Davis and Howard Cassell. Oh, very good. Nice. He did the play-by-play. The, yeah. the floss-by-floss. <laughs> Dental hygiene was just the surface of health industry records. Countless LPs, many of dubious medical value, were distributed to doctors and patients alike. And most of them sound like a total blast to listen to with titles like Bowel and Bladder Training, The Effect of Estrogen and Menopause, Painless Childbirth, or Improve Your Eyesight Without Glasses. Some of these records were just terrifying recordings of medical and surgical sounds, which sound like it could be a perfect dinner music for Jeffrey Dahmer. Or Billy Joel. A hit at that party would have been this 1955 Smithsonian Folkways recording of, and here's the track title, Supervised medical operation on a small boy with a cyst in his neck. Enjoy? Now. Now, what did you do? Hmm? We haven't got another one of these little retractors now? All right, if you don't have one, we'll do the best we can without it. All righty. Now, just a minute. Stay close to the object you're removing. Spread and cut. Spread and cut. That's up close to the object you're removing. Spread and cut. Stay close to the object you're removing. You guys can just always keep saying that to yourselves. You'll never get in trouble. But in dissecting something out, it's so easy to start drifting out, drifting out. Poor Timmy. And while the medical recordings have at least one foot in reality and another foot in that kid's cyst, the recordings of fringe methodologies and pseudoscience had a heyday with instructional vinyl records. There was a wealth of quacks, psychics, hypnotists, and general snake oil salesmen who were quick to release their guaranteed cure-all LPs marketed to a sitting duck of a 
gullibly hypochondriac public who desperately wanted to be able to heal themselves in two 28-minute sittings. One of the most famous of these self-hypnosis records comes from Dr. Michael Dean, who peddled a record that would allow you to self-suggest any improvement, discovery, or confidence level you might desire using just his heavily echoed voice and the spiraling disc on the album cover. Sounds like a good deal, really. Dim the lights if you wish. Stare at the three-dimensional eye on the jacket of this album, or choose a spot on the wall. This will be your point of fixation. It should be a little above eye level so that your eyes will roll upward slightly, or you can use a hypnotic disc or a thumbtack, or you can stare at the corner of the wall where the wall and the ceiling come together. Keep staring at that particular spot. Do not look away from it. That's it. The more you stare at the spot and the more you hear my voice, the more you'll be going deeper and deeper to sleep. Your eyes are getting heavier and heavier. That's it. Breathe in and out. And the more you breathe in and out, the more you are going deeper and deeper to sleep with each breath that you take. Dr. Lee Rabinovitz Steiner used a general psychic self-healing technique on her records to help her listeners be able to use a deep breathing, relaxation, and visualization to connect with the vibrations of the universe, which is the essence of all healing. Take that, Tylenol. You know, there's nothing to it but to let go. You just let go completely all over your body. And it's very nice to have an image and a place because this makes it more rapid. And if the canoe is pleasant to you, then when you relax, go back into the canoe and just think of yourself drifting, 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 drifting. You're getting lighter and lighter and lighter. You're completely relaxed. Of course, there were plenty of records to help with your various vices, smoking or overeating, to name two, or if you're struggling with both, I'd recommend throwing on Ravine's record that will help you deal with those two at the same time, and it's called Stop Smoking and Overeating. You will learn to give yourself this relaxation every day. You will find each time you listen to this recording that you relax deeper and deeper. This relaxation will strengthen your mind and calm your nerves. All nervous tension will melt away. You will no longer need to seek relief from tension and excessive eating. You will no longer wish to overeat at any time. Of course, if looking for a mesmerism album of slightly more importance than weight control or tobacco addiction, might we suggest Reverend J.W. Brenner's striking self-hypnosis for bowlers. I didn't know hats had that kind of like they could be hypnotized. <laughs> oh, spare me, you turkey. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was a strike. <laughs> Going even farther down the rabbit hole were sleep records that worked on your subconscious while you were dozing off. Auditory osmosis self-improvement. But we need to step back and have a bit of historical context for these records. Learning while sleeping is an idea that seems cold from science fiction, but as early as 1927, there was a trademark device called the Psychophone, 
which allowed <laughs> users. Uh, that's great. Great name. Mr. Psycho and Mr. Phone are putting a company together. What should we call it? Psycho Phone? This device allowed users to record a message onto a wax cylinder, then using a timer, played it repeatedly while they slept. This idea was even furthered in the late 40s with the Cerebrophone, which worked to help dormant users learn a language or break a nasty habit through the device, which was basically a phonograph connected to a timer and an under-pillow speaker. This machine was taken down a more sinister path by Canadian psychiatrist Dr. Donald Ewan Cameron, who used a similar contraption he called the Dormaphone in experiments he dubbed Psychic Driving. The doctor, who was, by the way, also involved in the CIA's MKUltra brainwashing and mind control experiments, sounds like a fun guy, would take exhausted electroshock therapy patients who would fall into a deep sleep often for several days after the horrific sessions and endlessly play them repeated messages to reprogram their mental issues. Though scientific experiments regularly debunk the effectiveness of sleep learning, there was a brief fad of nocturnal lucubration and several records were put out. Dr. John B. Sykes' sleep relaxation tells the listeners to sleep and relax! which were surely to send them straight into the land of Z's. Following sleep instructions is by Dr. Sykes. Relax and with a pleasant smile, go to sleep. You want to have a good sleep and awaken well rested and happy. First, you will have to develop your conscious mind to relax. That is the best free therapy. Or how about Dr. E.A. Borton's The Magic of Sleep Learning, which helps the unconscious dreamer to realize his maximum potential, all while snoring and drooling all over himself. Let the doctor teach you how to snore and drool with authority and purpose. And now, a portion of the nighttime or sleep side. This part of the lesson is to be repeated over and over for about an hour while you're going to sleep. I realize that I, and I alone, have the power to achieve anything and everything I desire. I can, I will, and I do have the power to achieve whatever I desire from the infinite source of all power. Also, as a bonus, if you listen to this Highway Hi-Fi podcast while you're sleeping, which you probably fell asleep to because of this podcast, we guarantee you wake up with a fresh outlook on life, knowing that you're better at trivia and articulation than we are, and you'll also suddenly have a very oddly complete knowledge of the Waffle House record canon. And then there are just the inexplicable records. They speak for themselves, I suppose. For example, Bernard Gunther's sensory relaxation. Yelling not only clears the lungs of old residual air, it also lets you get a lot of other things off your chest. In doing this experiment, it's important that you be uninhibited and yell as loudly and as long as you can. 
Stand up and slap the entire area of your upper chest. It's a lively bouncing slap with the palms and fingers of your hands held flat. Your wrists remain loose. Slap all over the upper chest. As you continue to slap, listen to the following sound. Or this record called, What Does It Mean to Be Human? which explores the kinship with humans and animals. There is a wolf in me, fangs pointed for tearing gashes, a red tongue for raw meat and the hot lapping of blood. I keep this wolf because the wilderness gave it to me, and the wilderness will not let it go. In his poem, Wilderness, Carl Sandburg points out some disturbing similarities between humans and beasts. Through the ages, many of us have been unwilling to admit our kinship with the lower animals. Ordinarily, we have liked to think of ourselves as creatures apart, distinctly different from other animals, and dominant over them. When Charles Darwin threatened this notion of separateness with his theory of evolution, most people were shocked and indignant. Man, a descendant of the apes? Blasphemy. What made Darwin's ideas so upsetting to so many? Anthropologist N.J. Beryl suggests a reason. The resemblance between humans, monkeys, and apes inevitably makes us uncomfortable. Or a further weirdo New Age record about self-value called Am I Worthwhile? with pearls of wisdom like this. A most mediocre person can be the object of a love which is wild, extravagant, and beautiful as the poison lilies of the swamp. Despite the fact that the instructional record industry seems to be a grouping of the least self-aware products, that didn't mean there weren't some people who saw the silliness in the whole trend. Actor and famous comedy coach Del Close had two of the more famous satirical instructional albums. By far the most famous is... How to Speak Hip, released with John Brent, which mocks language learning records as a tool for conservative citizens to be able to communicate with hipsters, beatniks, and other ne'er-do-wells. Hey, look, you know, like, if you bought this record to learn how to speak hip from a record man, that is the squarest thing I ever heard of. I mean, wow. But, look, so like you bought it, you must need it. So that was a smart move, you know what I mean, or something? Hello there, and welcome to the exciting world of hip. Oh, just relax, baby. Me and this other cat, we're going to straighten you out. This is a new departure in language instruction for English-speaking people who want to talk to and be understood by jazz musicians, hipsters, beatniks, juvenile delinquents, and the criminal fringe. What time is it? i got to make a phone call. Shh, shh, shh. The twilight world of the American hipster is an important American subculture with a language all its own. To enable you to speak this language of hip exactly like the hipsters themselves, we've provided an actual hipster to teach you the correct pronunciation and delivery of his language. Ladies and gentlemen, your instructor, Mr. Geets Romo. Look, this is going to be a long session, man. Let's head out for some pizza or something. Brian Wilson apparently loved the record, but he also probably thought the vibrations from his houseplants were pretty amazing too. So who knows? Nonetheless, Close really hit the nail on the head with 1959's album, The Do-It-Yourself Psychoanalysis Kit, which smirkingly lampoons the ocean of self-help psychology records. 
You can, however, take this test to determine whether or not you should be analyzed. Answer honestly. Have you ever contemplated suicide? When you were a child, did you ever have the feeling that you were adopted? Do you have horrible secrets about yourself that you don't even talk about at parties? Do you become nostalgic for Paris in the springtime, even though you've never been there? Do signs which say smoking forbidden and rub don't blot create antisocial urges in you? If you have answered yes or no to any of these questions, you need help. The ultra-groovy, self-proclaimed hip-hypnotist Pat Collins also had a parody hypnotism record simply titled Sleep with Phil Col- Pat Collins. <laughs> Have you ever listened to that Dell Close album? The How to Speak Hip, I've at least listened to it. Did you have it at some point? I may have had it. It used to come into the, it used to come into the record store a lot. Yeah, it was real popular. It's a great cover. Um, the album is just not really very funny. The funnier of these records are the ones that aren't supposed to be funny, but this one I don't think really stands the test of time very well. Well, <laughs> it's a weird record about a weird fad. And parody and satire is really often based on a cultural context that we just don't have anymore, too, so it's hard for that to, to carry forward. Absolutely, yeah. That's a great point. That's, that's probably what, what the biggest issue is. Of course, perhaps the most mockingly remembered records are the onslaught of anti-drug records that were produced. They are, of course, hilarious. It is estimated that this year a minimum of 12 million young people in the United States will turn off, use marijuana for the first time. Some, as shown, will be infants, given the drug by their dope-taking parents. Others will get it in grammar school, often from older brothers or sisters. Many junior high school students will have smoked marijuana before they go on their first dates. Marijuana is a social disease, mainly affecting our youth. If no remedy is found, half of our young people may be so crippled by drug abuse within the next few years that they will never be able to function as effective members of society. Please reflect on that statement. Because none of us can truly comprehend such a disaster. Mostly these days, it seems they have been co-opted for ironic sampling. There's something about squares describing tripping that makes it all the more appealing. Case in point, W. Cleon Skuskin's instant insanity drugs. When he looked at the walls, they seemed to be melting. The pictures on the walls became liquefied with colors running down like waterfalls. It was sensational. Inside himself, Tommy felt sublimated, sort of suspended in space. He had a euphoric feeling of wonderful well-being. Then he looked in a mirror, and something horrible happened. First, it seemed that half of his face was rotting away. Then he began to see himself as a grotesque, misshapen monster. He looked around the room and all the people were becoming monsters. Everybody knew what was happening to Tommy because he began screaming and describing what he was seeing. Tommy had the feeling he wanted to smash his head against the wall to bring himself out of this stupor. He did it, 
Blood spurted from his nose and a large cut bloodied his forehead. But he felt no pain. Then he pounded his head on a doorpost. Somebody in the room tried to stop him. He felt they were his enemies, so he jerked away. He ran into the next room where an open window looked out on a roof across the street. It was 18 stories to the ground. Tommy thought to himself that the roof across the street was really just a few inches away. He could jump on it and thereby escape. He tried it. Tommy is dead. Not everyone who tries LSD for the first time gets such a violent reaction. One authority estimates that among first-time users, about one out of 20 will go into a traumatic nightmare such as Tommy's. There are plenty more of similar records out there if you're looking to score. WFMU has a great archive on them on their defunct Beware of the Blog, with a nice bounty of educational film soundtracks as well, which is another great stash of hilarity and misguided intentions. They also have a copy of the William Bendix album where he tells pirate stories, which I love and got for only $3. Yep, after he would have sold it to you for nothing. Right, right, but I'm willing to pay more for William Bendix. On Discogs, you just inflated the cost of that record so much. Next to drugs, the highest priority evil was teen sex and the accompanying STDs. Concerned parents and religious figures took to the teenager's own medium to tell them about the dangers contained within their own pants. Frequently, the records were aimed at apprehensive parents and provided valuable tips on having the birds and bees talk. One of the more recognizable sex ed discs is the Christopher Recordings on Sex Instruction, notable for its terrible skits and gratuitous use of the word golly. All right. Uh, watch it. Uh, no, no, Bob. A good boxer never leaves with his right. Here, let's try it again. Uh, don't leave yourself open, though. Okay, Dad. Uh, how's that? Oh, oh golly, time out. Golly, Dad, did I hurt you? Uh, no, no, but I don't like... I like that left hook of yours poking me where my waistline used to be. <laughs> or if parents wanted some guidance from a higher power, Reverend Francis Phyllis has you covered in his Sex Education for Children. It's two LPs because once Reverend Phyllis gets going, he just can't stop. The second side, he even moves it up to 45. <laughs> so I go over. Now, this mother knew her family. She had sent all the boys and girls to her relatives because she knew her kids. Didn't want them around when father came home. But the one little fellow had been sick, so he stayed home. I'm just leaving at the door with my dark blue overcoat on, saying goodbye to the woman with her husband to drive me to the station. And the little fellow, unbeknownst to us, takes the whipped cream bomb and pushes the button. And you never saw so much whipped cream on one man from head to foot. Believe me, if you saw it in a slapstick comedy, you'd say, ah, that's artificial. Believe me, this was natural. There are tons of these. For parents, for teens, for dating rules, for kids going through puberty. Of course, the schools got into the business as well, which means there was a whole new medium for instructional records, the slideshow soundtrack. Teachers would flip through slides on a projector while playing an accompanying record or cassette tape. Here's a fine example called How to Get Gonorrhea by Dr. Schlote. How to get gonorrhea. A pen is dipped in the inkwell. A cartoon is created. 
and it is published in a national magazine. The caption? You will meet a tall, dark, handsome man who will give you the clap. Clap is the monster gonorrhea. And gonorrhea is so prevalent today that jokes are made about it in national magazines. Gonorrhea goes by many different names, but no matter what you call it, it can make you sterile. STD pictures are not. I'm not sure if playing porno funk music is the best way to prevent teens from getting it on. But sex education isn't just for the kids. On the other end of the spectrum, there was also a huge market for records for adults about knocking boots. Some are hilariously sterile and scientific. Some are uncomfortably antiquated. Some are just plain creepy. Rarely do they make sense on why any adult would listen to them. First up is the cringe-worthy Picking Up Girls Made Easy that provides tutelage in making ladies feel uncomfortable wherever you see them. The library, the singles bar, the museum, the ballet, and of course, the street. What's the place where you see more girls that you'd like to pick up than any other place? The street, of course. And that's why it's so important that you master the basic elements of the street pickup. There are a few basic principles that you have to master before you can move on to wild, uninhibited street play. First, it's important to remember not to get greedy. Pick a girl whose outfit and style you really like, so when you make your move, she'll instinctively know you're sincere and mean it. Remember, girls like guys who know what they want, and a girl likes to think you think she's something special. Some records are more procedural. This is a lesson in lovemaking. On this side, we'll teach you how to perform cunnilingus, irumation, and fellatio. On the flip side, you'll find yourselves in the most fascinating and erotic positions of intercourse. You're in for a very exciting time. Firstly, your bodies must be fresh, and the room should be warm. Warm enough to be naked, but not so warm that you will get overheated. The furniture in the room should be firm enough to use as pivots and supports for your bodies, but remember hard pieces of furniture will hurt you if you knock against their corners. These are records that you may want to search out on your own, but if you do, make sure you close the blinds first. (laughs) And along with all this baby-making talk... We probably need to mention just how many records were aimed at pregnancy, childbirth, and child rearing. Now, most of them seem pretty straight-laced. There are a few that are totally bonkers and might be the worst possible thing that you could play at a party. For example, Capitol Records' Birth of a Baby, which is described on the cover as a documentary recording of a birth complete with a doctor's step-by-step description and actual sounds of a hospital delivery room. Thankfully for you, we were unable to find a copy of this audio. (laughs) But what we did find was Pfizer Pharmaceuticals 1971 dance floor banger, A Child's Cry, A Clue to Diagnosis, which is just 45 minutes of various baby cries. Compensation occurs through hyperventilation and the infant presents with deep sighing respiration. There is often an associated high-pitched cry. Yeah, there are several of these records out there. 
which is probably more effective listening to foster teen abstinence than any of those sex ed records we mentioned earlier. Vast amounts of these great and rare oddball recordings are getting shared and digitalized. Johnny Trunk and Trunk Records, Smithsonian Folkways, and as previously mentioned, stellar independent radio station WFMU, are all establishing great archives of the strangest of didactic dictations. But the most wonderful thing about instruction records is that the best of them may still be out there, looming in basements, attics, and milk crates, waiting to be uncovered and brought into the light. Little snippets into the mind of people who knew how it should all work and took the time to spread their highly esoteric wisdom. But be warned, you might never be able to unlearn what is being taught on that vinyl. You must like pretty things. The sky is blue and pretty. The little fluffy white clouds are pretty. You have pretty picture books. Pretty things are nice. Look for things that are pretty. Draw pretty pictures. Sing pretty songs. Remember, be kind. Do what we tell you. Love pretty things. So do you have any of these records? And since we started doing research, how many of them ended up in your want list of any, or did you make it through any of them when you were listening? Nah, not at all. <laughs> no, nothing. They're fun. I mean, I'm getting better about not grabbing stuff that I probably won't listen to very often. I think, like you were talking about earlier, they're great for samples or putting on mixtapes and stuff like that. And if I found something funny at like a garage sale or the dollar store, I'd probably pick something up. But I think just kind of digging through enough clips got me all, all I could care to find. Yeah, it was fun listening to how goofy they are. I haven't pulled out any of mine for, and I have I have a few of them. I've like, there's one called Flight F-I-N-I-L, which is a plane ride to heaven, um, which is pretty good. And then I have one of the ventriloquist ones still. I have a lot of comic book ones, but it's pretty rare that I would ever pull it out at this point. I seem to remember a time not six months ago where you had a how to, how to teach your parakeet to talk record in your hand, and I had to kind of talk you down from it. I had walked back and forth in that store like, I, oh man, it was $9, I think. It should have been 50 cents, but it was, it was beautiful. I kept saying, how are you going to explain this to your kids? <laughs> and you kept saying, I don't care. I'll play it in the room while they sleep. <laughs> now, I mean, I think this is, these are the sort of things you just want to find. Like, you don't want to put on discos. You just need to find them in the wild. And the thing is, I'm sure there's just some crazy, crazy ones the, where private press and this, this, the Venn diagram of where private press records and instructional records meet. There's probably just some off-the-wall type stuff. Got to say thank you to uh, Michael Dixon, who's the owner of PIPTK uh, Records, and um, master lathe maker and just a generally cool guy we've been talking to. We're hoping to get him on the show here. But he sent me um, some of the weirder ones that we played. He and his friends had found, you know, going to uh, uh, Goodwill and stuff like that. And he, he 
sent a few clips that we included on the show. So thank you for for helping out with that. And he used them in a band. He he did like a circuit bending band, and he used some of the clips with that. And they're they're great for stuff like that. I think that's what they're perfect for. I just think it'd be hard to listen to a whole album full of them. One of my one of my good friends Zach gave me some records he found at some point, and they're. They play 33 and a third according to their labels, but I can't play them because they're 16-inch records. Mm. And some of these, they're put out by the government. So the one I'm looking at right now, and I'll put pictures up, is by the Adjutant General U.S. Army. It's called Proudly We Hail, Dr. Soldier Indian Chief. And it's dialogue for, it says it's dialogue for 29 minutes, but I can't tell what it is about. And there are a few of these. There's the old pro is on the other side of it. Henry Morgan show. It's an educational record. Um, and it says the, this recording is the property of the Veterans Administration and cannot be broadcast under commercial sponsorship. There are a few of these. Uh, I'll put pictures up. I wish I could find a way to play them. I just can't. How would you even? How would you play a sixteen-inch disc? I don't know. I don't like know. Seventy-eights, like an old seventy-eight player, would that do it? I don't know if it would. The arm of the player or wouldn't give you enough room, I don't think. Hmm. So I don't know how you would play them. Like you'd have to have a special record player, which they probably had. One, and it was probably one other way of deterring people from playing them or have making them in any way tantalizing or something people might want. You could be sitting on gold. You could have played it here first. Of course, the uh, Veterans Administration might have come after us. I can take those old fogies. <laughs> what do they know? They're taking care of animals? Who cares? <laughs> Stupid bird lovers. What other ones do you have? I've got some of the sex education ones because they're they're funny. And there are, was a series of how to strip for your husband. I've got a few of those that came into this the record store. They're nowhere near as good as their cover and title might suggest. They're pretty terrible. But I still, I have them. And... You know, I've got, I mentioned the ventriloquist, the Jimmy Nelson one uh -huh. that is one of my favorites ever, but I can't find it. I haven't been able to find it for like maybe 20 years, but I still look for it every once in a while. I'll go out, I'll go through my records again and look for it. I have them all inventoried uh, and I still can't find it. It's not here. I can't believe you lost it, you dummy. I know, right? That had some really good sound bites in it. Yeah, that's that's one that when you're researching researching the stuff, it pops up quite often. I guess I should also say like there is not a lot of information about this out there. There's a good BBC article and podcast which we uh, stole some of their stuff. I mean, borrowed. We used them for research and clips. we use them for research and clips. There's no definitive catalog of this, and this is more where. Some of the things that we saw, like we've seen out in record stores and stuff, but we try to look it up, there's nothing out there. And you can't find it on YouTube. Most musical records you can find some trace of online. A lot of these, there's nothing. Like there's absolutely, like you, you literally could find a one-of-a-kind type record. And, and that nobody seems interested enough to catalog them. With the exception of maybe Johnny Trunk, he's doing a lot of that. But he, he does so many other things. Yeah, he does some really good stuff. There's a lot of fun to to kind of go through this stuff, but I'm I'm kind of missing missing music a little bit. Yeah, let's play some songs. Let's do it. Okay. I'm in love. What's that song? I'm in love. 
I'm going to play with my first song. This is a song called Deep Blue Sea, and it's by Art Lone. for my comps that was by Anthology Records that came out this year, earlier this year, called Sad About the Times. Sad About the Times is just a great mix of unknown 70s, kind of soft rock, psychedelic kind of soft rock type stuff, pretty much all unknown stuff, sort of like their companion piece to the one they did about Australia. This song kind of struck me when I first heard it. I just uh, really liked it. I tried to look up to see if I can find anything about him or the album. He put out, as far as I can tell, one album in 76 called Piper Oz the Hound. And there's really no other information about it. But I wish I could find that record and see if there's anything as good as the song is. The comp doesn't put out a lot of information on the tracks, which they say is on purpose because it's kind of trying to replicate what it's like to hear songs on the radio once and never hear them again, you know, where you don't know exactly anything about it, which I kind of think is a kind of a cool idea. It could also just be kind of lazy, depending on how you look at it. 
unless they have some more source than I do, which they probably do, but there's really not a lot of information about it. But I love that song, Deep Blue Sea by Art Lone. All right, my first song is by a guy named Tim Daw, and it's called Little Boy Blue. Tim Daw with a song called Little Boy Blue from his 1969 album on Straight Records called Penrod. And Penrod, on the album, it looks like it could be the name of the artist, it could be the name of the title. The way they wrote Tim Daw is really kind of odd. Uh, Penrod was a band that he was a singer for, so that makes it even more confusing. But I, I'm going with the album title as Penrod. This is a psych album sort of, kind of like a Tim Buckley album. And it was released on Straight Records, which was the Frank Zappa label. It is a song that I have loved for decades and had been looking for for a long time to finally be at a price that I was okay with getting. And I finally got it. And I'm very, very happy. It is a lot like, um, I mentioned Tim Buckley, but it's more like his, like, uh, happy sad album kind of around that era it's got upbeat songs like that it's got a really long like seven minute song called junkie john that is kind of creepy 
almost like what Suicide did 10 years later, basically. The whole album is really well made. It's a shame that it didn't sell. Like, that was his his record on Straight. He did some more records later after that. Nothing really took, and he didn't, he didn't really have much of a career after that. I can't believe I've known you for like 20 years and you've never played me that song. That song is so great. I really thought I had played that for you. It's really good. And I'm still trying to figure out, maybe somebody out there knows what that instrument is at the beginning. Is that what you were, you oh, were yeah. wondering to? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I have to listen. I listened to it a couple times when you first sent it to me. I'm like, man, this song is great. And it's just a weird, weird song. It's, it's just my kind of song. I don't know what else to say about it. I just love it. And me too. Absolutely. All right. My second song is by Aztec Camera, and it's called Jump.
All right, that was Aztec Camera, and the song is called Jump. You may recognize it. It was a Van Halen hit in 1984. I think they're on their album called, I think, 1984. This cover came out about six months after that. It was pretty quick, and it is wonderful. The original version of this by Aztec Camera was on their second album, this version is a longer one. I think it, they call it the loaded version. It doesn't say that anywhere on the 10 inch that I have that this was played on but or from. But it's a lot longer and it gets a lot louder than the other one. So both versions are very good. And they sort of just slow it down. So instead of it being this happy David Lee Roth and bright pants jumping around, it's almost like a suicide note. It's really, really good impressive what they did with this and this one ended up on lots and lots of mixtapes as one of those gloomy songs that is also really nice because it's so familiar even though it's so different from what the original is when you first start hearing it it's like i know this song but i can't quite place it and i love putting stuff like that on on mixtapes or at least i did when i made them and i probably would still the 10 inch that i have is shaped a little bit differently it's a rectangle, not a square, and it was a B-side to Backwards and Forwards. And on the 7-inch version of that, when it was when Jump was the B-side, it was the shorter version. This one, it's Backwards and Forwards on side A with Jump, and then side 2 is uh, three live songs uh, recorded in 1984. Pretty interesting. The packaging is really cool. Everything they did with this is, is really good. Uh, I wish I knew more about the band. I've just... Never really gotten, never really spent any time listening to them other than this song, but I love this version. All right, my last song is by Lee Robinson Machine, and it's called Summer Love.
All right, that was Summer Love by Lee Robinson Machine. I was at a record store, and I saw saw this record, and it was really cheap, like 3 or $5. And it just looked interesting. I could tell it was a reissue just by how it was packaged, and I wasn't sure why it was so cheap, but I just kind of blindly picked it up and um, really, really like it. Um, originally came out in 97 as a CD-only release on a Madrid-based label called Por Caridad Producciones, but it actually got re-released by Munster Modern Classics in 2015. It was a Record Store Day release, but it might have been just one of those Record Store releases that just didn't... Nobody knew about it or nobody cared about it or whatever, and just they made too many and they had to get rid of them years after. I don't know, but there's no reason people shouldn't know this album. It's, it's great. It's hard to describe. It's... You know, it's it's got that 90s lo-fi quality, but it's kind of like off-kilter blues. So anyways, this Lee Robinson guy, he this is a, like a one-man band type thing. He was a drummer for a band called the A-10s and a band called the Fortunate Sons, which had, was sort of like the remnants of the Flaming Groovies and a band called the Barracudas. So he'd kind of been around for a while, and then he just kind of... Um, played around and made this strange album in Madrid that he performed four shows after, sold a couple hundred CDs, the label went down, and then he just died soon after. It's just really odd recordings, but they're real powerful. And it's a record that kind of snuck up on me. The first time I put it on, it was almost like I was paying too much attention to it. And I don't know, Joe, if you ever do this, but sometimes I do better with a record when I'm not entirely focused on it and I can just kind of let it play and then I can come back to it and kind of pick pick up the pieces of why I liked it. But sometimes when I just sit and listen to it real intensely the first time, it's like I can almost find too many things I don't like rather than letting it kind of flow naturally. But the first time I listened to it, I thought, so it's okay. But I put it on again um, one night and I was like, man, I really like this. And I've played it several times since. I, I hope I, I like the song. You should check it out if you're interested in that sort of 90s lo-fi type stuff. It's called Lee Robinson Machine. All right, and I think we just need to settle up on some trivia. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and uh, play my quiz again. And remember, it's six songs. Go ahead and tell me the song name, the artist, and the theme. And I gave Joe a couple hints. One is focus on the artist. And the second one is it does have something to do with the theme of the show, generally speaking, I guess. So let me go ahead and play them again, and then we'll, uh, let you guess, Joe. All right. Track one. Mother tells the ladies at the bridge club every day Of the rising price of tranquilizers she must pay And she wonders why the children never seem to stay at Track two. Track three. Track four. 
track five. And track six. Right, what you got? For track one, Chris Christofferson with the song Blame It on the Stones. Yes, from the classic first album. Very good. Track two, Brian Ferry with the Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. Yes, correct. Track three is Sting with If I Ever Lose My Faith in You. Very good. Track four is Roberta Flack with The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face. Mm Mm-hmm. Track five is Guided by Voices with Game of Pricks, I think. That's one yep. of the few that I actually know the title of, like, of the yep. three. It's one of his more more famous songs, I think. One of their more famous songs. Yeah, yeah. It's was one of their hits. Track six, Simon and Garfunkel with Bridge Over Troubled Water. You nailed it. Six for six. Good job. All right. The, the theme, I was... Totally not seeing it until you mentioned that it had something to do with our theme. So then I looked at it and I realized that Sting, when he was Gordon Sumner um, Robert and Robert Pollard, I know that both of them were teachers. They were. And then I just kind of went with that. I thought it was too weird that there would be that coincidence and that would be the only reason you would ever put a Sting song on anything. So I'm going to go with they were teachers of some kind before they, or at some point. Yep. Excellent. Great, great job. Yep. You, you nailed it. Um, and you were right. That is the only reason why I would ever put a sting song on anything. Chris Christopherson taught literature at West Point for a while. He is so brilliant. Brian Ferry taught art and ceramics at Hammersmith school before he formed Roxy Music. Sting kind of famously taught secondary school for a while. And that's where, he, uh, that what was the name of that song? Don't Stand So Close to Me. Yeah. Um, sort of about that, even though it's kind really of creepy. Really disgusting. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Roberta Flack, first time I ever saw your face. That was correct. She taught middle school music for a while before she became, she was teaching middle school music and like a nightclub singer at night, which is also similar to Robert Pollard, who would record at night or on breaks from school but he worked in all levels of primary school from elementary school to middle school to high school and there's interviews where he talk about how he'd just show up drunk from from recording sessions the night before and have to try to teach these kids and then um both simon and garfunkel sort of have teaching roles i was more talking about garfunkel the way i understood it is before bridge over troubled water became real big kind of towards the end of their career they kind of had quit but they'd recorded bridge over troubled water and then so he started teaching math at this private school in connecticut and then bridge over troubled water got real big and i think he wrote it so he got a lot of money for that and was able to not teach anymore but you you nailed it they are all famous rock and rollers who had a teaching job at some point We thank you for listening, and uh, we want to send a shout-out to our podcast network, Pantheon. Lots of fantastic music podcasts of all sorts. 
uh, rock and roll archaeology recently put out a two-part episode on um, the music of 1969. I think it's 69. Anyways, I started listening to that, and uh, it was great. I need to go finish the rest of it. But um, there's lots of fantastic podcasts, so go ahead and, and give a listen to anything that seems seemed great on our podcast network. There are a bunch of great people who love music like us, and uh, we're proud to be a part of them. I think one of my new favorite podcasts is called Basic Folk, and it's on there, and it's hosted by Cindy Howes, and she does inter- has interviews with really wonderful people. In fact, one of my favorite music writers, Ryan Walsh, who wrote a book all about the 1968 music scene in Boston and the recording of Van Morrison's album Astral Weeks. Um, she interviews him. He's also a musician, and it's a great podcast and it's on pantheon everybody should check it out it's called basic folk i listened to that episode too it was, it was amazing it was fantastic yeah and, and then i thought what are we doing on a <laughs> the same network as this person it's so professional and great we're playing we're playing clips of sting right yeah i feel like we're getting away with something making billy joel jokes yeah, and that's such low-hanging fruit. <laughs> Social media. Come check us out on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both of those is Highway Hi-Fi Pod. We're on Facebook. Follow that page and communicate with us. And if you want to email us, send us an email at podcast at gmail.com. As always, please go out and... Um... Support a record store, record store day, Black Friday, which just occurred. So hopefully you were able to get to a record store and um, buy some cool stuff. Or at the very least, maybe you uh, bought some records from somebody else. I've been trying to buy records from bands directly through Bandcamp or whatever, which is kind of fun too because you get to interact with them just a little bit. But um, there's some great labels out there. There's a lot of great small labels putting out stuff. So there's no end of places that are worthy to for you to spend money on. So please go ahead and find some some great people who are bringing you music that you love and support them. And while I was uh, visiting family and friends in Nebraska last week, a very good friend of the show and the daughter of one of my best friends, uh, she introduced me to her boyfriend, who is in the David Nance group. And I went out and bought that 7-inch. They have a 7-inch on Third Man Records, and they have a bunch of stuff on Bandcamp, too. So, What's the name of the band? It's the David Nance group. Um, they do, on Bandcamp, they have album an album that is just a cover of Lou Reed's Berlin, which is really good. And they have an al- a cover of one of the Beatles records, too. The only vinyl they have is the 7-inch on Third Man Records that I've seen so far. Very cool. Yeah, check them out. I'll check them out, too. All right. Well, we appreciate you listening, and uh, yeah, hit us up. I'm, I'm serious. Let us know you're out there. That'd be great. But either way, we appreciate you listening, and we will see you next time. The end. Good night, Kathy.